I just want to say, if you are joining us here for the first time, you're coming at a great time because we're kicking off a brand new series today called Dangerous Prayers, Prayers That Change Us. And uh, this is a, a series that was inspired by Pastor Craig Rochelle over at Life Church. And uh, this will be a short little three-part series. This isn't going to be a terribly long series. This series will take us right up to spring break. And, uh, and so for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at some prayers in Scripture that are dangerous in nature. Now, what in the world do I mean by dangerous? How can a prayer be dangerous? Well, here's, here's what I'm talking about. These are prayers that if we pray with any level of sincerity, and if God were to actually answer these prayers... Okay, so, so number one, you've got to actually pray these prayers. You've got you, you to you have the boldness to actually pray these prayers. But then on the other side of it, if God were to actually answer these prayers, you should be forewarned. Because it will change you. These prayers, praying these prayers, will without doubt change you. And at first, these changes might feel a tad bit uncomfortable. Uh, at first, these changes might even feel painful. Uh, they might stretch you and challenge you and push you to your limits. But if these prayers that you pray become answered prayers, and that's what we all want, right? We want answered prayers. But if these dangerous prayers become answered prayers, I promise you, you will grow more deeply than you thought you ever could. You will experience the power of God's Holy Spirit in your personal lives more deeply than you ever thought you could. You will be transformed into the image of Jesus, God's son, more and more to think, be, act, and to behave more like him more deeply than you thought you ever could. Now, does that sound like something you might want, church? Does that sound like something you might want to pursue? Do you want to grow deeper in your faith? Do you want to experience the power of God's Holy Spirit in your everyday personal lives? Do you want to be transformed to look, to smell, to be, to think more like Jesus every single day of your life? If you're with me, would you respond by saying amen this morning? Amen, amen right? That's what we want. And with that amen, I'm going to assume you're ready to dive into the first prayer of this series. And the first dangerous prayer that we're going to look at is simply this. Three words that has the potential to change the trajectory of your life. God, search me. God, search me. In fact, can we say that together this morning? God, search me. God, search me. We're going to look at a passage of scripture here today where we find a guy by the name of David, namely King David, specifically King David, praying this prayer in a moment of honesty and vulnerability. And friends, that is precisely what you need to pray this prayer. A heaping dose of honesty and a generous portion of vulnerability. Without honesty and vulnerability, it will be impossible for you to actually pray this prayer, God, search me. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is probably one of my favorite psalms of all the psalms. And if, you, if we had the time, I'd love to, I, I would just unpack the entire psalm. But, but we're not going to do that. We're going to jump and fast forward to the very last two verses, the, the very end of Psalm 139. And we're only, only going to look at two verses here today. But let me assure you, don't be fooled by the quantity. Okay, because these two verses are not for the faint of heart. If we pray these words that David penned here in Psalm 139, you will find that this is an incredibly dangerous prayer. 
So look with me, Psalm 139, we're going to pick up from verse 23, we'll put the text up here on the screen as well, if you want to look along with us that way. Hear the word of the Lord, David writes, search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I, I feel like this is such a short passage. I think we can manage to read this out loud together, can't we, church? Can, can we read this out loud together in a spirit of prayer, in a posture of approaching this dangerous prayer? Can we pray this out loud together? And you can read along with us from the screen if you'd like. Psalm 139, verse 23, here we go. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Holy Spirit of God, we pray this morning that you would do a, such a deep work in our hearts that even in the midst of the discomfort, maybe for some of us the pain, for some of us the challenge that comes with you searching our hearts and searching us, Lord, would, we, would you give us the courage, the grace to stay in the moment and to continue to lean into this prayer, God, search me. God, search me. And as we uncover some principles and truths that David penned here, Lord, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive all that you have for us here this morning. We give ourselves to you in that, in that regard and to that end. And it's in the strong name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. God, search me. I wonder, have you ever been searched before? Have you ever been searched? Uh, I, uh, I remember a few years back, I was on a missions trip with ACF. We were on our way down to Peru, as we do every May. And, uh, and we were flying out of Newark International Airport. And we were going through security checkpoints, right? You, you got to go through all of that and, and, you know, go through all the TSA workers and, and, and what have you. And, we're, and, and as a team leader at the time, I felt responsible for our team, right? Because that's what a good team leader does. You're responsible for your team. And so, you know, I was making sure that, sure that everyone was accounted for and everyone was getting through the security checkpoint without a hitch. Take off your shoes, take, off bag, da, da, take that out. And, you know, all right, sure enough, one by one, all of our team members got through without a hitch and then it was my turn and then I walked through the detector machine thing you know that thing you walk in it's like the right you know what I'm talking about like you walk in and and I thought everything is good until one of these TSA workers swiftly took me to the side and said sir come over here and he said put your put your legs out arms up I'm like Oof, what's going on what I, I I'm a the pastor of that group. I, I'm not. I'm not here to cross any problems, right? Like, and he, you know. And before I know it, he starts waving me with the wand, and, and you know, to see if I was carrying any metal objects, which I wasn't. You know, any sharp objects or whatever. And and he's he's waving me around, and and, and you know, he started asking me questions. Is everything out of your pocket? I said yes. I, this is not my first go around through an airport. I took everything out of my pocket. I took everything. Out. You could check for yourself. Yes, everything's out. And then he started putting his hands on me. 
That's when things got real. That's, that's when things got, he's, he started patting me down. He started patting me down in places where I didn't feel comfortable being pat down. I said, whoa, easy there, tiger. I mean, I, what, I, don't, know, I don't know what you're looking for, but you're, you're not going to find what you're looking for. I mean, it's, and I, I started to feel real uncomfortable. Now, eventually, I was cleared. I was, they, they, they didn't find anything, of course. And, and I had to take the walk of shame back to the rest of my team who was waiting on the other side of the security checkpoint. And, the, and my team had the nerve to say, so Dan they thought you were a terrorist huh like as if that was like an assumption like like first of all I was offended that they would they would see their pastor that way but secondly when have you ever seen an Asian terrorist I mean really I wouldn't going to terrorize you with math problems like I mean, just, that's just not a thing right like that's not a thing I'm not a terrorist I'm not here to cause problems now, look, look, it's a funny story, but I'll tell you this, it's not fun being searched. It's not fun at all being pat down by a TSA, by, the, by an overgrown, nasty, gross, Newark International TSA worker, right? Like it's, like, it's not fun. And so here we are asking the question, God, search me. Why would we ever pray this prayer, God, search me? Why would David pray, God, search me? What is he getting at when he prays, God, search me? We see he's really asking God to do three things here in today's passage. In praying, God, search me, he's really asking God to do these three things. And the first is this. He's asking God to know my heart. Know my heart. The first thing that David prays here is, search me, oh God, and what does he say? Know my heart. You see, David understands something here that I think many of us forget from time to time. We, we just seem to, seem to forget this little piece of information, and that is our actions, our thoughts, our patterns of behavior, everything about who we are and our lives flows out of this place called the heart. In fact, this isn't a new concept or a new principle. It's not something that I'm making up. In fact, one of David's sons, Solomon, put it this way in Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your what? Not your mind, not your body, not, not, not anything else, but your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything. I mean, he, he's a, this is an all-inclusive statement. Everything you do flows out of your heart. Jesus himself says in Matthew 15, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the what? The heart. It comes from the heart. And this defiles a person, for out of the heart come things like evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Jesus is saying, these, there, there are these outward things that you should be paying attention to. Yes, yes, by all means, but never at the cost of what's going on in here. Because what's going on in here will ultimately impact what's going on out there. In fact, we see this play out in David's own life in real time, right? You guys know David's story, right? David commits adultery with Bathsheba. He sees her bathing on top of a roof, commits adultery with Bathsheba, and then has her husband Uriah killed, right? While Uriah is out fighting and battling for David, David has Uriah killed, and then he tries to cover the whole dang thing up. Why does he do that? He does that because something in his heart was so hopelessly broken and flawed. 
And yet, here we are today, modern day, telling people, encouraging people, giving people this terrible advice. Just follow your what? Heart. You don't know what to do. Just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. You, know, just, you, you, don't, you, you don't know what to do with your life. You don't know where to go. Just follow your heart. I got to tell you, you know, I'm not terribly good with directions when I'm in the car. Following my heart will not do us any good. It will not do me and the folks in my car any good. Following your heart does not do any good in real time. You don't know what to do. Just follow your heart is a terrible advice because that's what David did. And look where it led him. It led him there because his heart in its default mode was to lust, to fear, to murder, to disguise, to cover up and hide. That's what was in his heart. God put it so undeniably clear. I don't know why we question this, but, but God said the heart is deceitful above all things. He's talking about the human heart. He's talking about your heart, my heart. And he, and he doesn't say this to be offensive. He doesn't say this to be, to be a big divine jerk to his creation. He's stating something that is simply true because of what happened in Genesis 3. Because of the fall, the heart is deceitful above all things. What was once good has turned bad. It is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Church, can I, can I tell you something? I'm going to share quite a bit about myself here with you this morning. Way more than I actually feel comfortable to, but I, I, I'd like to share. I don't know how I can preach this without being authentic in front of you. My heart, in its unredeemed, unsanctified, unholy state, apart from Jesus, and the saving work that he's doing in my life, it is plagued with things like pride, Envy, bitterness, rage. I mean, some of these things I, I, I had to pursue professional help for because my heart was sick with all of these things. And because I know that about myself, because I know that I have things in my heart that are, that are antithetical to the nature and the character of God, I've had to make it a habit in my life to regularly ask myself the sometimes painful but always illuminating question, why do I do the things that I do? Why am I doing this? Why am I responding like this? It's amazing what that three little word, where that three, three letter word will take you. Why, 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 why? Why am I doing this? Why is this my response? Can I give you a couple of examples? I've had to find myself, I found myself wrestling with the question, why do I have such a hard time celebrating other people's success? Like when I succeed, I want the world to know. You know, I'm not even on social media, but if I were, I, I, I'd be posting. I'd be like, hey, world, look how awesome I am. Like celebrate with me. But when someone else succeeds, I have a really, genuinely, I have a genuine hard time celebrating when other people succeed. Why is that? Well, it's because deep down inside, my heart is sick with envy. I'm deeply envious of their success. What about this one? Why, why do I feel like I have to have the last word when I'm in an argument with my wife? Confession. 98% of the time, I'm wrong, and I know I'm wrong. But I got my heels dug in. 
I ain't going anywhere. Nick, you ain't going to push me down. Baby, I'm going to keep pushing and pushing until you fall on your face, right? Now, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, what is that? Church, you know what it is. I know what it is. It's pride. It's pride that is sickened and buried deep inside my heart somewhere. Or why do I have, why do I keep having these reoccurring made-up conversations in my head with people who have offended me? I talk about this a lot, right? I talk about it a lot because it happens to me a lot, <laughs> These made-up conversations like, oh, if I could tell him. Oh, if I, if I was in a room alone with her, what I would, if, if she couldn't respond, what I would unload on her. Why do I keep having these made-up conversations in my head? Well, it's because I struggle with bitterness and unforgiveness. That's in my heart. See, God wasn't wrong when he said the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately and hopelessly sick. And so when David prays, oh, God, search me and know my heart, what he's saying is, God, help me to better understand why I do the things that I do. Help me understand, illuminate what is underneath and beneath the surface of my life. Help me understand what is going on at a heart level. God, know my heart because my heart is flawed. It is busted up. It's broken. It's screwed up. And I need you to shine your light in those places of brokenness. Know my heart heart so that's the first thing that david is asking god to do when he prays god search me the second thing he's asking god to do is this god reveal my thoughts reveal my thoughts david prays this prayer search me oh god he says first know my heart try me okay in other words put me on trial god like you know put put, put me to the test and know my thoughts in other words god reveal my thoughts now church you got to understand here these aren't just any thoughts these aren't just sort of like your daydreaming thoughts sort of random general thoughts that float through your mind in a given moment the hebrew word that's used here for thoughts is a very specific kind of thought the word that's used here is disquieting thoughts disquieting thoughts in fact some of your translations might read test me and know my anxious thoughts thoughts of anxiety that grip me anxiously some of you may have footnotes in your bibles that say try me and know my cares or my worries you see these thoughts that david is talking about here are essentially worries and fears cares and concerns feelings of anxiety that are so deeply entrenched in our souls and for some of us, they are so embedded into who we are that we don't even always know that it's there until someone points it out or until the Holy Spirit starts knocking on the door of your life and say, hey, do you know that you're driven by this fear? And for you, you might not even identify yourself as an extremely fearful person. Like, for me, I, I'm not a... Aside from roller coasters, I'm not like, like a super like fearful person. Like I don't, I don't have a lot of fears, phobias. Like, and so maybe you're thinking to yourself, I, like fear, you know. But it could be that God is trying to reveal some, some areas of fear in your life without even knowing because you just don't know that you have these fears. I have a friend who, who's been walking me through some issues in my, in my own life recently. He's been helping me process through some stuff in my own personal journey and one of the things that came up in our conversation was the question, Dan, why do you think people would want to spend time with you? It might sound like a bit of an odd question, but, but it, it, 
with, without giving a long, lengthy context, that, that's where the conversation led us. Dan, why do you think people would want to spend time with you? And I gave it some thoughts. And the first thought that came to mind was, well, it's probably because most people are looking for some spiritual guidance. You know, I'm a pastor, I'm, you know, I'm a minister, I'm all this, you know, and, and so maybe, you know, I think most people are looking for some spiritual guidance or, I, I don't know, they might be looking for some, some wisdom or some helpful advice on life matters. And that, in fact, many of you, I meet with many of you on a regular basis, and, and that's, that's the purpose of why we meet, right? Like, because, because oftentimes you're, you're looking for some counsel uh, on, on specific matters of life. And I thought to myself, well, I think that's generally why people want to spend time with me. My friend said, okay, now, what if one day you were stripped of all of those abilities? What if you had no wisdom to provide, no counsel to give, no, no wise spiritual advice to dispense? Do you think people would still want to spend time with you? I got to tell you, church, when he asked that question, it was like a freight train just, boom, right into my gut. It was in that moment I felt a wave of fear and anxiety like I never have before. Because somewhere deep down inside my own soul, I think I've always come to believe that who I am is just not enough. That I got to compensate with all these things. That I gotta be, uh, I've got to have these superlatives that I live up to and, and rise to. And, because if not, who the heck am I? I'm a nobody. Why would anyone want to spend any time with me? I'm a, I've got nothing to give. Somewhere deep down inside, I've identified a fear that who I am is not enough. That who I am, the person that God made me to be, is just not enough to be loved, liked, or appreciated, or to have spent time with. And so what do I do? I try to compensate for being the wise spiritual sage. So you need me. <laughs> so you want to be around me. So that when you're with me, you feel good. Like, I, no one goes around and is like, I want you to spend some time with me and feel worse about yourself, right? Like, no, I want you to spend time with me and feel, feel better, right? Like, that's, so for me, that's how I've compensated. But it's all rooted in this fear of not being enough. Now, these are my disquieting thoughts. I wonder, church, what are your disquieting thoughts? What, what are your anxious thoughts or feelings of fear and worry that drive you. Last week, if you were here, we talked about how perfect love drives out fear. First John 4, right? Perfect love drives out fear. Fear is what David is talking about here. He's saying, reveal my fearful thoughts. These thoughts that drive my life, these reveal my anxious thoughts because I don't want to be driven by them any longer. No, you see, friends, God's perfect love, you got to understand this, God's perfect love cannot drive out the things you do not acknowledge about yourself. And so as painful and as alarming as this revelation was, holy crap, I, this, I, I have this, this real substantial fear that who I am is not enough, that I actually have to compensate and add. I say to myself, God, that is terribly uncomfortable for me, but I believe that you got something better and more for me. See, God's perfect love drives out fear, but his love can't drive out the things that we do not acknowledge. And so we've got to ask God, God, reveal my thoughts. 
because I want to be freed by your perfect love. Search me, O God. David is saying, God, would you know my heart? God, would you reveal any anxious thoughts, any fear-driven thoughts in my life? And the third and final thing David is asking God to do here is expose my sins. Expose my sins. Oh, I don't want to talk about this one. Expose my sins. I don't know that I want to pray this one. Expose my sins. Because it can get real dark and twisted real quick. David prays, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me. Some of your translations might read, see if there is any offensive way in me, or, or maybe point out anything in me that offends you, right? See if there be any grievous way in me. How many of you know the heart of God can be grieved? The heart of God can be greed. It's not like God has like this, you know, super like tight guarded heart where it can't be hurt. Like God's heart can be hurt. It can be grieved deeply. And one of the things that deeply grieves the heart of God quicker than anything else is unconfessed sin in our lives. That grieves the heart of God. You have unconfessed sin in your life, you can be sure that the heart of God is grieved. Sin that is hidden and tucked away. And never brought into the light. Uh, I, I love First John. I, I don't mean to keep going back to that, but but First John in, in chapter one, if you if you're familiar with that letter, John tells us that God is light, right? Like this is who He is. In fact, we got out of the series God is series, and we could have easily dedicated a whole week talking about how God is light, right? John is saying God is light, and he goes on and he says, "We who walk in the light." Okay, as people of light, even Paul in Ephesians says that we are children of light. And so we as the people of God who walk in the light have fellowship with him and with each other. That's what it means to understand God as light and and to be people who walk in the light. But when we walk in darkness and we keep our sins hidden and unconfessed before God, his heart is grieved. Why? Because in that moment, we break the fellowship that we have with him and with each other. Friends, how many of you know sin destroys all relationships? Both between you and the Father and you with the people around you, right here sitting in this room, in your community, in your, in your ministries, in your spheres of influence, sin breaks down all relationships. And when that happens, when there's a break in that fellowship within the body or within the body with Christ and with God, the heart of God is grieved. Knowing that, David says, see if there's any grievous way in me. See if there's anything in my life that grieves your heart. Because I don't want to live that way. I don't want to live in a way that is defined by I live, but the choices that I make bring grief to my maker, bring grief to the lover of my soul, bring grief to the one who sent, sent everything for me. I don't want to live that way. And David is saying, oh God, see if there be any offensive, sinful way in me. Is there any sin in my life that has not been dealt with? I got to tell you, folks, we've been announcing these men's breakfasts, uh, and, and we've been having these men's breakfasts for the month of February and we've been hosting these uh, for, for this month, and I, I got to tell you, it, it, has, it has just been so incredible, so incredible. You know, you just never know what's going to happen when you invite a bunch of guys together to eat 
first of all, no guy's going to turn that down. But then you throw a little curveball and be like, oh, yeah, we're going to also talk about porn and masturbation and lust and all. Like, yep, peace. I'm good. I'll, I'll go to the comments. I'm, you know, I think I'm good. I'll, but, no, but we've had a, a group of guys gathering together. And, I'm, you know, I'm not going to share details, obviously, but, you know, due to the nature of the group. And we've covenanted with each other not to expose anything. Uh, but but here's, here's what's so incredible about this. Every guy in the room is essentially coming together in that moment to say this, God, expose my sins. That takes some balls. Can I say that? I know I'm a, this is church, but we're a college church. If I were at the mother church, I would say it takes some guts, you know, but it takes some serious balls to, go, to come together with a group of guys and say, hey, I'm done. I'm done. I want God to expose Expose areas of my life that gratify me while grieving you, God. Think about that for a moment. Sin, at its core nature, no matter what it is, sexual or not, sin is about gratifying you while simultaneously grieving God. How jacked up is that? God, I'm, I'm okay with you being grieved as long as I'm gratified. As long as I'm satisfied. But the very thing that gratifies us deeply grieves the heart of God. And at least, I don't know, at least for these men's breakfasts, for these five weeks or so, it's just blessing my socks off to see a group of men who are coming around each other, who are coming around together and saying, God, I don't want to live like this anymore. I want you to expose my sins. We want you to see, oh God, if there be any grievous way in me. See if there is anything in me that offends you. And that's precisely what David is praying here. Now, at this point, you might be thinking to yourself, none of this sounds like fun, Dan. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, none of this sounds like, I, I know my heart, like, the, the heart is deceitful, and if it's really sick, and if you're actually, like, if God is actually right on this, I don't know that I want to pray, know my heart, expose my sin, like reveal my fearful thoughts. I don't know. This seems way too uncomfortable or even straight up painful to even go there. Because some of us, I think here's, here's kind of what we think. We, we think God's going to come. We pray these prayers, right? God, search me, know my heart, reveal my thoughts, expose my sins. God's going to come and stir the pot, you know, start, start emptying out the skeletons in our closet. And so we, we pray, God, know my heart. And we think God's going to come to us and say, okay, okay, you want, you want me to know your heart? Here's what's in your heart. Boom, 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 boom. You didn't realize just how screwed up and how broken, flawed your heart actually was, huh? Ooh. I don't, no, thank you. God, uh, reveal my thoughts. We say, God, reveal my thoughts. And we think God says, okay, here are all the ways that fear, anxiety, and worry have driven your life in all kinds of unhealthy patterns. This is fun, isn't it? Shall we keep going? Yes, God, expose my sins. Expose my sins. And God, we think God says, okay, here's a sin that you haven't dealt with. You ever think about that one? Oh, Here's another one. Up, oh, up, up, up. Come over here. Here's another one. Here, oh, you're so messed up. Did you know that? Like, we think that's how God is going to leave things in a heaping pile of, of us sitting in our own crap. We're like, man, God searched me. This is where it's led me. And we think that's where God is going to lead us. And if that's the case, church, I'm going to be upfront with you. I don't want to pray God search me. I would never pray God search me if that was the end goal. That's not the end goal. David says, search me, O God, 
know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That's where he lands it. Lead me in the way everlasting. Can I, can I just talk to you, church, for just a minute? I, I want you to hear me. God will always accept you just as you are. He, he will. There's, there's not an ounce of doubt or question that should exist in your mind whether God will embrace you just as you are. In fact, this is, I, I, it bugs me that culture has hijacked this message because this is, this is the gospel message that no matter who you are, no matter how broken and jacked up you are, if you come to Jesus, the Father's arms are wide open. He will accept you. That's, that is the beautiful thing about our God. That in all of your dysfunctions and brokenness of your heart, in all of your fears and anxieties, worries and concerns, in all your sinful habits and ways, both overt and covert, God will accept you just as you are. But friends... That is only part A to the gospel. Part B is this. God will always accept you just as you are. But he will never leave you just as you are. God is too good to leave you in your brokenness. God is too gracious to leave you sitting in a heaping pile of your own junk. God will always lead you to something better, to some place better, to someone better and that someone is Jesus. Friends, when I go through this prayer and God start he starts knowing my thoughts, revealing my fear and anxiety, when he starts exposing my sins, you know what my first reaction is in that moment? Oh Jesus, how I need you. If anything propels me quicker to my knees, uh, to my to my desperation, to my dependence on Jesus, it's this prayer. God, search me, know my heart, reveal my thoughts, expose my sins, brings me to a place of awareness, heightened awareness of my personal need for Jesus. There's no way around that. Like, what, what am I going to do? Fix up my sin? What am I, I can't, what am I going to do? Just ignore my fears and sweep it under the rug and pretend that it's not there? What am I going to do? Just ignore the sickness that plagues my heart? No. What I do is I go to Jesus, knowing that he's going to accept me just as I am. But he is too good to just leave me just as I am. He's going to take me to the person of Jesus, to the cross, and say, hey, this is, Jesus was the whole reason. The, the, the reason for the cross was, was on behalf of our brokenness. Because of what you find after praying, God, search me. The brokenness that we come to awareness of is the whole reason why the cross exists in the first place. It brings me to my awareness of my need for Jesus. Do you know that the Apostle Paul was the same way? You guys remember in Romans chapter 7? Romans chapter 7, he depicts the real human struggle. I mean, hashtag struggle is for real, right? Like Romans 7, he's like, the things that I don't want to do, I don't know why, but I keep doing them. You, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, he's like, the things that, I, and, and we don't exactly know what struggle he's talking about. Some speculate that it was, it was sexual struggles in nature. Some, you know, it, there, there are other speculations about what the nature of the struggle was. But regardless of what the struggle was, 
right? Like we, we all have struggles here, right? Every single one of us, all, you know. So, so he's saying in that struggle, the things that I don't want to, I keep on doing. And while the things that I want to do, I, I, YouTube, I don't know, I just keep going there. <laughs> Netflix, I mean, I don't, I, I don't do those things. Like the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that, that I don't want to do, I just find myself keep doing. Friends, he is caught in this tension, in this, in this paradigm of, of, of my heart and my actions. How many of you find yourself in that place sometimes, right? My heart wants something, but my actions don't seem to match up with what my heart wants. And my actions don't line up with what my heart wants. And Romans chapter 7, Paul comes to this conclusion. <laughs> what a wretched man that I am. Right, like, translation, man, I am screwed up. Man, I am messed up. I need help. Who will deliver me from this body? And honestly, some of us might find ourselves at a similar place after praying this dangerous prayer. God, search me. Know my heart. Reveal my thoughts. Expose my sin. You might arrive at this same conclusion as that, as that of the Apostle Paul. What a wretched man I am. What a wretched woman that I am. Who will save me and deliver me from this body of death? Paul goes on. I love this. This is about Paul. Like, he just, it's like, let me just answer the question for you. He goes on. Thanks be to God. Through who? Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friends, hear me. God will nev never leave you in your brokenness. That's why he sent Jesus to redeem us, to rescue us, heal us from our brokenness. And so when we pray, God, search me, search me. We don't have to be nervous or afraid or shaken in our boots of what God finds. Can I, can I let you in on a little secret? God already knows what's in your heart. We're not asking God to do something that he's not familiar with. He already knows what's in your heart. He just wants you to know. He wants to bring it to light for you so that we can say, oh, God, I see this and I see you and I'm, I, I want to leave this behind and go after you. That's what, Paul, that's what David is saying. Lead me in the way everlasting. It comes when we follow Jesus. God needs us to know so that we know how much we need him. And when we reach out to him, church, here's the promise. He will lead us in the way of everlasting. God will always accept you just as you are. But he is too good. He is too gracious to just leave you just as you are. Would you allow him to do some heart work in your life here this morning?